0: I think I'm having an art attack. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Art Attack with your host, myself, Justin Bua, and of course, Lizzie Dastan. Lizzie Dastan. <laughs> uh, today, we're talking about, <clears throat> I'm having to think about how I feel about saying that, Andy Warhol.
1: Really? Are you not a fan of Warhol's? No,
0: I I was telling my mom the other day, my mom's here with us, but I was telling my mom that he was revolutionary in some respects, and she disagreed. And then I realized that my opinionated artistic self stems from my mom, uh, which I think is very important in a time where anybody can call themselves an artist. And I think that Andy Warhol was very creative you know what I mean he was a very creative mind but before we go into all of that let's just go back into Pittsburgh Pennsylvania when Andy Warhol was where where he was from because in a lot of ways if it wasn't him that changed the art scene it was certainly his group or or his galleries or Leo Castelli or you know that time period was a big pivot in terms of in terms of modern art.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think we discussed this in great detail on our episode on pop art, but I think it's worth revisiting that this cultural moment, there is a seismic shift happening in art as a result of World War II. And first, that really visually articulates itself in abstract expressionism, which is all about mark making and the individuality of something that's intimate and unknowable and non-objective. And that's when we have the drip paintings of Pollock and these wild gestural strokes of de Kooning. And then with Warhol and with his colleagues like uh, Lichtenstein, we have a reemergence of subject matter. And I think that shift from the total non-objective to the complete embrace of consumerism is really important because that was revolutionary, even though to us it seems banal What's he painting? His source material, comic books, Coca-Cola, famous people himself, that really seen within this moment, it its significance is really heightened. And so I think we need to remind ourselves of that. And for me, the embrace of consumerism is because all of a sudden, after the war, our economy is better. And he in the beginning of his career was just fascinated by these consumer grocery store items like Campbell's Soup and Coca-Cola, as I said. And it is worth reminding ourselves that during the war, maybe 20% of people were able to afford buying food in grocery stores. And then in 1970, or even a little bit earlier in 65, that percentage rose to about 75. And so he is a lens onto the consumerism and the economy of the times.
0: I mean, I think that in a way, when I look at Warhol's work, I'm not a fan per se of his work, but when I see his work, I realize that he is probably one of the most influential artists really ever. Because today... There's so many people doing Warhol. There's so many people influenced by Warhol. Uh, there's so many people doing Celebrity. Really before that, nobody was doing that. And, <clears throat> But I do look at Warhol much like I look at Basquiat as a little bit of a proxy, a piece that needed to happen in order to make more money in the movement. And so I think that Warhol's success... Much like a lot of artists historically are, is because of Leo Castelli and his gallery and his power. Because they, he said, I deem this important. This is important. This is what's next, and it, and people go like, you know, people are sheep inherently, and they just go, oh, sh- I, I I really need a Warhol, or you know, that's really important, so I'm going to get on the bandwagon. So I think that we can both agree that I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but Warhol himself, if you look at his work. There's nothing phenomenal about the uh, technical virtuosity of it. There's nothing uh, completely, completely revolutionary about the compositions or the paint or the tone or the value or the, it's it's really just moving art into a whole different direction of, you know, I like of just making things, graphic and sellable. So I feel like we're going into the graphic space for the first time really since perhaps the Art Deco movement, where we're getting a very realistic graphic interpretation of art, which is not, it's even hard to call it art because a lot of his stuff was photography-based that he's painting on top of, right?
1: Yeah, and he also really embraced prints and his whole raison d'être as an artist as he evolved was to slowly remove the individuation of his hand, which is a complete rejection of everybody who came before in the Abex movement. And so do I think that his actual process of application of paint is revolutionary? No. Do I think his nothing really about about the art itself, but about all the conceptualism that came into its making. That was huge. And that really did shift the direction of art in an irrevocable way. And I think you're right to say that so many people today are really influenced by Warhol and a lot of street artists, urban artists. But to me, what's frustrating about that is that I think if you were to ask a lot of these people what about Warhol is so influential, they wouldn't know. I think it's because right. he was anointed by Castelli or the Ferris Gallery in LA is where he had his first solo show so we often identify him with New York and the Factory mm-hmm. and all the clubs but really LA gave him his artistic home so we need to give a little shout out to LA but I don't I don't know if people really understand what it is about Warhol that they are influenced by I think it's just the fact that we're told that yep. he was influential,
0: but and he was really the first also uh, mega celebrity in the art scene. I mean, Warhol was dyeing his hair gray since he was in his twenties. He was he had that very famous uh, bangs, silver hair, and his glasses, and the way he dressed, he was very dapper in a lot of ways. and And so Warhol had a look that he. Was specific about designing because he himself knew that that was part of his whole shtick. Because it was a shtick in a certain way, you know what I mean? It was a look. Everybody's got a shtick, right? You know, uh, Gustav Klimt had the long, the long dress thing. I think that that was his thing. Picasso had the sailor shirt. Uh, Dali had the mustache that rolled like the Raleigh fingers mustache, the rolling, curving mustache. Uh, and Warhol took it to another level. In fact, he took it to a level so intensely that, and in, I think right around seventy nine, he had a nose job, and that was very uncommon. So he wanted to have a perfect profile, or profile. Did you know that that he no. had a nose? Yeah. So Warhol had. He he was one of the early adapters of plastic surgery, which is very common now. So it's interesting because what Warhol did in terms of putting himself out there as an entity and an artist to the public, and how he wanted to show himself was very similar to what he was doing with his work. So his Hmm. personal life was very, very similar. And Warhol was, uh, in his own way, the most fascinating thing that I find is that Warhol, in his own way, was a real Renaissance man. Warhol discovered the Velvet Underground, great rock and roll band, a very experimental rock and roll grand, uh, managed them. He discovered Interview Magazine. I mean, you know what I mean? This is a guy who's. You know, he's doing the first 24-hour films. He's doing the first person to have an exhibit with videography, right? Like now that's so common in the contemporary scene. Let's not forget that Warhol was the first. So Warhol was never satisfied with just painting or graphic design or doing Prince of Mao or Elvis or Marilyn Monroe or Brillo Boxes or Campbell Soup Cans. He was really fascinated with way like some like that's cool but I want to go way beyond that. And his look and his appearance was even to the next level. In fact, he was so consumed with his look and knew the importance of socializing, you know, being one of the main dudes who was out there with, you know, uh, Mick Jagger and uh, all of the giant celebs during that era, Sylvester Stallone, etc. And being one of the permanent fixtures in Studio 54, but he wanted to be everywhere all the time. So what does he do? He hires and employs on payroll a body double. (laughs) Did you know that?
1: I didn't, but that makes so much sense because how did he produce his art? He hired assistants to help him manufacture it. And so I think every aspect of his life was turned into a factory.
0: Right, and then he had the factory, which is his warehouse where he was creating sure, stuff. His but, but he actually, I learned the fact that he had a body double that he paid, so that if he couldn't be at that party because he had to be at Studio Fifty Four, he had somebody else there. And I don't know if he talked like this because Warhol, he even had an affectation to his talk. So he had the affectation to his talk, the affectation to his look with the hair, the you know the nose job, the way that he dressed. But he made sure that he was it was duplicity. He had it going on all the time, so he was in every place.
1: Oh, and you know what's a nice little synergy to what you said is that many of his paintings are not individual images, but we see the same image in seriality. And so there is a multiplicity, a duplicity in both his persona and also in the process of his art and the art itself. So I think you are spot on to say that he's a Renaissance man. But Mm. for me, everything really does tether to consumerism, celebrity culture, the cult of the artist. And that even though it seems like he has his fingers in lots of different cookie jars, that there is a commonality to what it is that he's interested in. And he wanted to democratize art. And I think he was so horrified, as a lot of people were, with the elitism of the abstract expressionists, that he wanted to return art to the people, to make Uh, it...
0: Tell me about that. I don't really quite understand when you say he wanted to democratize art. In what way?
1: I will tell you. So. A Coca-Cola bottle, for instance. If Elizabeth Taylor buys a Coca-Cola bottle, that product is the same for her, the most famous person alive, or Marilyn Monroe, it's the same for her, as it would be for a person experiencing homelessness on the street. That there is just something that is equitable about consumer items, that we all get the same product, regardless of how much money that we have to spend on it.
0: Okay. Yeah, you know, I am <clears throat> I started out, never liking Warhol because I felt like it was just tried and easy and, you know, celebrity. But as I've gotten older, I think I've become more, I, I understand the, n- not his purpose, but just how influential he is. And it's just by virtue of the fact that he's been so influential, I really liked him. And I always feel like he, you know, when you see him on film or interviews, he, you know he was really he was very clever obviously you know he was he was more than a cleverest he was a a guy who really had his pulse on you know pop culture and the times and he really loved street art and he really loved the you know break dancing but he loved studio 54 and he loved disco and you know and he was like I want to take all of this experiential reality that I'm living and breathing and kind of produce it. And that was that's so cool because that's really what an artist does. You know, it doesn't matter if you're a, you know, proto-Renaissance painter or you're a pop artist. That's essentially what you do is you're taking your experience in your world and you're projecting it through the lens of you. And in Warhol's case, it was so powerful and profound that I just see today, like, how many artists are, are trying to be Warhol? And... How many artists are being successful at trying to be Warhol, too, which is crazy? It's like there's even room for all of these photocopied Xerox frauds that are out there doing the same thing that he did, you know, decades later.
1: And also with no awareness of the content of what Warhol was creating, because, sure... We look at an image that he's created, and it seems accessible. Who doesn't love a good diamond dust painting? But I think the gravitas underneath his choices, that is what makes him a lasting artist. And it just personally irritates me when I see so many quotations of his aesthetic without any understanding of the iceberg that is underneath and you've mentioned celebrity a few times. And so I just wanted to kind of bring this conversation to an actual work of art. And I'm thinking about the Marilyn Diptych, which is the an image from her last approved photo session before her death. Uh-huh. And it's in two very large panels, tons and tons of the same image just printed with a different color palette or different printing uh, registers. Is that what it's called? When there are... Yep. yeah. So it looks different, but it's all kind of same, same, but different. And it's a diptych, so there are two panels, and I love the titling of this because we only really think about diptychs within the the context of religious iconography. So through this simple gesture of titling his work diptych, he is suggesting that celebrity culture has replaced the Virgin Mary in its icon status. And so all of a sudden, Marilyn is who we worship. We worship the famous person. We no longer worship the spiritual. And I think that is significant in and of itself. But also the fact that from left to right, which is in Western culture how we read books, how it goes from saturation of color to black and white, for me, that's this poignant homage to the fact that she died. But in all of the reproductions of her image, we don't get a sense of who she is. It's just mask upon mask upon artifice. And we don't know anything about Marilyn. It's just her public projection. And I thought about that when you were describing the public persona of Warhol himself with the nose job and the wigs and all of that. Who is Warhol? We don't know anything about Andy Warhol, And Mm -hmm. it's kind of the same with Norma Jean. We don't get a sense of the authenticity of self or spirit. We just see how she was outwardly projecting some kind of warped mask to the public. And so I think that is really poignant too. And the color palette in the second panel, the grayscale, it looks a lot like the grease-eye of newspapers. And so for me, that's about the media perpetuation of this persona.
0: Let us also give you guys a tidbit of information out there that if you want to see a really great portrayal of Warhol, in my opinion, David Bowie plays a wonderful Warhol in the movie Basquiat, directed by... Um,
1: Julian Schnabel. Yeah,
0: Julian Schnabel. Um, David Bowie's incredible. I mean, it's caricature and Leo Castelli's in there, and it just it's just a wonderful cast. Benicio Del Toro's in the movie. Um,
1: Jeffrey Wright.
0: Jeffrey Wright plays Basquiat, and... Uh, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's him from uh, Westworld. Exactly. Yeah, very, very, very good movie, but if you want to check it out... Uh, it's it's easy to digest and it's entertaining and I think it's pretty accurate. And Warhol's not the star of it. And there's been a lot of movies on Warhol, but none that I really love to death. Uh, you know, and another fun fact about Warhol that's not too fun, I'm sure, is that he was shot. Uh, he was shot by one of his uh, people that he, he, he did. I guess a woman that he didn't accept her script and she was... She was pissed off about that, and she came back and she shot him. And he had a lot of complications uh, from that shooting over the years, a lot of hospitalizations and just a lot of recovery.
1: Yeah, he was never the same after that. And that's what friends reported to the press, that he was always kind of jumpy and you would try to touch him or be affectionate. And he was always on edge. And I think it's a little simplistic when people say that this woman's script was rejected and so in an act of of anger, she shot him. I think that she also was, or know that she was suffering from mental illness and she was later diagnosed with schizophrenia. And this is a woman named Valerie Solanis. And this happened in 1968, but she at the same time published a manifesto called the Scum Manifesto, Society for Cutting Up Men. And I think that... She was just wow. deeply angry by the state of women in society and the the power of the phallus and heteronormativity and all of that. She identified as a lesbian. And so I think that this was a whole ecosystem of factors that led to her shooting Warhol. But to the police, she said that he just had too much power over her life. And that's how she was able to Mm. rationalize it. But she was jailed. And then later when she got out, she actually stalked Warhol via the phone. So she was really disturbed. And that exchange between Solanus and Warhol was incredibly disturbing to him. And I think just shaped him and his safety in the world in ways that were never repaired.
0: It seems like he was always... We don't, like you said, we don't really know Warhol... Uh, but he seemed pretty fragile in certain ways. Like he felt very fragile and and open. I think that he. Uh, I, I heard he was also very generous too. Uh, have you heard that?
1: No, I mean I haven't not heard that, but I can see it.
0: Yeah, I mean he was a very. He was an interesting character, and and I and like I said initially, I think he was really a vehicle for. Uh, this movement that was going to happen. He was the one that made it happen, and he was able to bring in other artists under him who were also proxies of that movement so that a bunch of people could get really rich. And if I think if Warhol knew, and maybe he did, I don't remember, I think that the car crash sold for $150 million. That was the most expensive one ever. I think if he knew that, I wonder if he would be very disturbed or not.
1: Well, let's talk about the Crash series because that is a style of his art that is not often as celebrated or recognized as the celebrity, the consumerism, because the imagery is a little bit harder to look at. And he did a whole series of car crashes, as you mentioned, but also a larger disaster series where we see an electric chair repeated in seriatim. And the car crashes, to me, are so evocative because cars at this moment, they really represent a locus of individuality and economic success for people. If you think about the romance of a road trip and the endless possibilities of what's in front of you, that you can just drive, you are free, you have this mobile home that is yours to direct. And that became really an exciting, dynamic experience for a lot of people. And after World War II ended and our economy starts to get better for more and more people. Also, the car is a space often for sexual expression for teenagers. You know, you've heard of Makeout Point or Mulholland. People always drive up to Mulholland, park and make out. And that's significant. The car represents freedom, individuality, all of that. Wait, were they on
0: a road trip going to Mulholland?
1: I mean, if you don't live in L.A. or sometimes if there's traffic, it feels like a road
0: trip. I feel like you're... I feel like you're projecting I'm, all of this stuff onto I'm explaining
1: the, the context of the car in order to explain the specific car crash work and its power. But did he say
0: any of this, or are you just projecting, or are you just explaining your own th- theory? Is this your theory, or is this something that's been written? I
1: think that we give too much weight into what an artist says or doesn't say. I think that this... It was in the water a lot of people are exploring the value of a car Warhol's contemporary James Rosenquist did a, a lot of work with cars and Robert Frank I so did he I'm specifically just say this now No no if no, no he did not Warhol <laughs> said any of this
0: because I mean a car is anything it's a it's a mode of transportation to get you from A to B but I understand oh. What you're saying. Right. I
1: mean, he didn't really say any of the stuff that we're saying. So no, he didn't say this specifically. But if you think about the popularization of a car, it coincides at this moment and it has a specific meaning. And when that symbol of freedom and of life also becomes this death trap, that reflects the punctured American optimism of all of the assassinations that are happening at the time. And Warhol really starts this in 63 when JFK is shot. And where is he shot? In a car. In a car, exactly. And so I think the car crashes, they are really symbolic metaphors for what is happening to this country. We're riding a high economic wave. We're really happy that World War II is over. And then all of a sudden, the chaos of the 60s, they really start to... To, to settle down. And then the disaster series, to me, that relates to the the capital punishments that are starting to come up in the news more and more. And specifically, there's this guy who was killed in the gas chamber, the Chessman, uh, the Chessman execution. And he kidnapped and he also, I think he sexually assaulted women, but never fatally. And he, this Contro- issue was controversial because he was killed by capital punishment for non-fatal crimes. And that only happened one other time, but I think that really struck Warhol too. And so his disaster series of the electric chair, it's almost this confluence of fullness and void. And I think that he's imagining or synthesizing a lot of stuff that's happening at the time historically into these paintings that are seemingly simplistic.
0: They're photos. They are, yeah,
1: they're press images, so right. pictures that come in the newspaper, and then you when said
0: he, paintings. I just want to be clear. Well, uh, he painting. turns
1: them into a painting.
0: He turned them into something, some mixed media thing, right. not quite a painting.
1: A but painting I think it is implies pigment, and imply-
0: Imp- painting is implied that it's painted. <laughs> this is not painted. This was a graphic design from a like a silver print from like a photograph or something like that. I don't know, but it wasn't a painting. He didn't like started a canvas and create the drawing and paint on top of it. So it was a. It was something else, but the reality is that it sold for $150 million, and my point was, I wonder if he would be like, oh my god, that's incredible, I can't believe it. But regardless, I don't, you know, it's such a, like, it's the most, the most crazy thing about Warhol is it's such a status symbol, it's so common now, right? It's so common for a wealthy person to say, oh, I have a Warhol, you know, or, Uh, Warhols are are omnipresent. They're everywhere in Christie's and the auction houses and in wealthy people's uh, homes, specifically art collectors who want to show that they have currency and currency is a Warhol. And I think that Warhol is very, uh, he's just become huge to the point of like, he's not, he's ubiquitous with this is what a collection starts with, or this is a collection like, oh yeah, you gotta, you gotta have a Warhol. I mean, it's just, come on, that's ridiculous. You got to, everyone's gotta have a Warhol, which is amazing to think about this young guy from Pennsylvania who was an advertising geek, essentially an art high school geek and an advertising geek and then kind of moves to New York and, gets in this world, and next thing you know, he's one of the biggest, most influential artists ever, and it's just weird. He represents a time of art history that I personally don't like, but I really look at his work and I say it is important for all the reasons that we talked about, spoke about, and also I think this is the first time where we're seeing the artist... Really becoming the celebrity as well. You know, for the first time becoming like a monster cele- celebrity and becoming a piece of art himself.
1: I agree with that. I would add the caveat a monster celebrity in the United States. Sure. Because as you mentioned, Dali but now and he's Clint, international. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And now he's as he's. The I mean, most and he's and, and,
0: Right. And he's all he, yeah, he's one of the most ubiquitous artists ever. And you also, he's he's now able to, you can get a T-shirt of Warhol, you can get a $20 print of Warhol, but you can also get a $30 million painting of Warhol. Right. You can get a sculpture, one of his Brillo sculptures, or anything. He's, he's so diverse. And you, you could pick up his magazine, Interview Magazine. That's his magazine. It's like that's, he did a lot, you know what I mean, culturally. And his whole 15 minutes of fame, his whole idea about that, Was so true. Like every, he said that everybody has 15 minutes of fame, including himself. And that had, that was something that was said before that happened. And then next thing you know, we have the Kardashian era. And he really predicted, he was able to see like a Sybil into the future how shallow our culture really was and how shallow, how even shallower we became.
1: I do think that when he said that, it was incredibly prescient. And I think what's shallow is our understanding of Warhol. I don't think that the actual work of Warhol is shallow at all. I don't think so either. But I I do think that people are lazy in their appreciation of him. And that, to me, is what is concerning. It isn't the fact that his work is still quoted. It should be. It was really incredible. I think
0: that's... You just hit the nail on the head right there. It's laziness. And I, I when I was listening to Comedians in Cars Drinking Coffee with Jerry Seinfeld and Bill Maher, you know, they were both saying, can you handle the how dirty the TV is these days and comics are these days? It's like unbelievable. Like, have we become so base? And Jerry's like, no, it's just laziness. People are lazy. And that's how he feels. It's not even like I'm a grumpy old man with a rake on my lawn saying, I can't believe how dirty it's all become. This is ridiculous. Ah. It's more like... People have become so lazy, they're going for the easy. And Warhol made it seem easy, right? So now you have all these copycats who are just doing what he did, but without the real purpose behind it, which is, let's not forget that Warhol was working 24 hours, whether he was socializing, whether he was creating magazines, whether he was managing uh, rock and roll bands, whether he was making videography and filmography, or whether he was painting or drawing or doing photography in a studio. He was, in a lot of ways, Instagram before Instagram. He was documenting every single thing about his life way before Instagram. So a lot of people will say that he was the initial Instagram or at least the inspiration for Instagram because he was doing it way before the advent of Instagram.
1: Yeah, I can see that. And I think it requires true genius to create something that feels accessible, feels even lowest common denominator, but is incredibly rich and rife with meaning and historical and cultural uh, combinations. It's just, it, It really is this centrifuge of so many other things that were happening with the economy, with celebrity, with all of this in this pivotal decade. And I just wanted to talk really quickly about his consumerism, because that's the work that I think he is most celebrated for. And as you mentioned, he starts out making art for advertisements, but then I think he pivots that to making advertisements as art. Yep. And I love that. I just think that 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 subtlety and that continuation of his early beginnings to his later cultural renaissance is really cool. And he did this takeover in a gallery in New York called the Biancini. And the whole gallery was made to look like it was a grocery store. And there were actual cans of soup. And it was this panoply of everything there were paintings of the soup on top of an actual can of the soup and there was an image that I just love published in Life magazine and I think 1964 and there was a caption you see this older woman scrutinizing a can of soup an actual can and it says you think this is a supermarket but hold your hats it's an art gallery and I love that just the playfulness and this complete collision of two supposedly separate worlds, the worlds of consumerism and the world of art. And Warhol is exposing the mechanisms that really assert that it's the same. It's one and the same.
0: So as you see, Warhol, important artist. Look him up if you don't know him. You definitely know him. Nobody doesn't know Warhol. Uh, And by the way, we (laughs) do this because we love to do it, because we're goddamn good at it, and because we care a lot about art history. And everybody should care about art. Uh, we've all drawn, we've all painted as kids, whether we're doing it now or not, we, it's in our DNA. It's the deep structure of who we are. Uh, so we really have to be aware of all the artists who have come before us. And please leave us a comment, whether it's on... Uh, iTunes or Spotify or are we on Stitcher? Someone asked yeah, me that the other so. day. I think so.
1: We should be on all of them. But this is our 90th episode. Oh, wow. How exciting. So leave us 90 comments. Yeah, leave <laughs> us 90 comments.
0: And don't just listen passively. Take your time out. Research where you can leave us a comment. Don't do it on our Art Attack Facebook page like you guys have been doing constantly. Just leave it on one of these No, other thank things. you
1: for doing it wherever you can, yes. but I hate social media, so I never check our Facebook page. So if you but want we a do response. Check, yeah,
0: we do check <laughs> iTunes if you have an iPhone or Stitcher or Spotify or whatever, whatever. And thank you guys for listening so much. Peace.